I'm Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. You might have seen some of Ava DuVernay's incredibly powerful films, like Selma, which is about Martin Luther King Jr. and the 1965 voting rights marches. That movie made Ava the first black woman to be nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Director. Selma got an Oscar nomination for Best Picture. I mean, she goes on to make A Wrinkle in Time with Oprah. She goes on to make that incredible documentary, 13th, about the prison industrial complex in the U.S. Her new film is called Origin. And uh, what I have to tell you is it's based on a book called Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents uh, by the journalist and author Isabel Wilkerson. And I will tell you about that book in just a second, but I want to play you a clip from the film first. In the film, the actor who's playing Isabel Wilkerson travels to Germany and to India to understand the connections between what motivates subjugation and violence in those countries with what motivates subjugation and violence towards black people in the U.S., in America, you have uh, what you call the blacks, the browns, the Asians, the whites, and etc. Similarly, uh, we have in India, where the Dalits are supposed to be at the bottom and the Brahmins at the top. And between, there are various units of caste. And what maintains this unit into continuing of caste system is the unending violence in the form of rape, mutilation, and murder. In India, a Dalit person is attacked every 15 minutes. I remember reading that book, and I said this to Ava, I remember reading that book back in 2020. It didn't cross my mind for a second that a film could be made out of it, like even a documentary could be made out of it. That's because the book is, well, the book has to do a lot when you read it. It has to dismantle racism as a driving force for inequality. It has to introduce the idea of caste, like the society-wide social stratification for people who might not be familiar with it. Then it has to make the case that the way we think about inequality is all wrong, and then it presents solutions on how to fix it. Excellent book, worth reading, but a film? How Ava pulled this off is really something else. So what she does is she weaves the ideas in the book into the story of the author. Isabel Wilkerson, who wrote the book, suffered two tremendous losses while she was writing it. So you get brought into her story as she starts to formulate her own ideas about the intersection of caste and racism. And then Ava DuVernay had to make this whole thing without any support from any of the major studios. So lots to talk about. It's an excellent film, and we were so grateful that we got a chance to talk to one of the most important film directors of our time, Ava DuVernay. Ava, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, happy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you. I was struck by something I I, I found out, that um, Origin was the first film to be screened at the new Viola Desmond Theater in Toronto. For people who don't know, maybe listening in the States, Viola was a, a black Nova Scotian, made history in Canada when she refused to sit in the whites-only section of a, a, of a movie theater. She refused to leave a whites-only section of a movie theater in Nova Scotia. She's now on our money on our Canadian $10 bill. What did it mean for you to have the movie launch at that theater? Oh, it was it was a wonderful experience. It was early in our 
sharing of the film. I had just um, come from Venice. Uh, we had had our three screenings at TIFF. And on my schedule was this beautiful invitation um, from Cameron, Cameron Bailey to come back to Toronto to, um, to kind of christen this theater. And did I want Origin to play? And I was like, what? Why? Why would I do this? Until I read the story, I had no idea. Oh, I was upset with myself for not knowing. Um, you know, it's just not a part of of history taught here about what about who 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 she was and what she did. And I felt very connected to the story that that this act of resistance happened inside of a movie theater. It was very poignant um, for me. And so I got myself on a plane and was able to meet her family members and just a, a gorgeous night. And the fact that Origin is the first film to play in a theater named after her was just deeply meaning, meaningful. Well, I'm, I'm I'm so glad to hear that. And it's a, it's a really beautiful film and it's a deeply meaningful film. Um, let's talk a little bit about it. Um, how did Isabel Wilkerson's book um, cast first come into your life? I was introduced to me by Oprah Winfrey, who had encouraged me to read it. This was during the pandemic. Um, the book came out a couple of months after the murder of George Floyd here in the United States. And um, I was not in the mood to read anything. I was, uh, it was, I was fatigued. I was sad. I was, uh, you know, in, in a state of despair, as many of us were. But uh, a couple of months later, I picked it up and, and, um, and I wrestled with it. I, I didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't agree with everything. I, and that bothered me because other folks were reading it and were saying that it was incredible and amazing. So I read it again. And it was something about that second read where I started to really truly understand, not just at face value. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's a great book. But really, I get it. I see it. I can understand the connections to my own life and my present day experience. Um, that's when I started to consider, wow, there's something here that I believe we as a as a global community should be fluent in and that this word uh, was not something that is top of mind and that it was worth trying to take it out of kind of the anthropological thesis that is beautifully written in the book and perhaps put it into an accessible major motion picture that more people would um, actually uh, engage with. I, I want to come back to that idea of, of turning this into a major major motion picture in just a second, but I want to go back to something you said there. You, you said you you wrestled with it and disagreed with parts of it the first time you read it, but on the second read, um, it sort of uh, uh, became a little bit clearer to you. Can you can you help me understand that better? Yeah, I think you know I, I wasn't I was reading it through the the lens of my own identity as an African American woman, and so you know I walk through the world, I must. I don't have the privilege not to. I'm confronted with it all, every day, um, you know, seeing the world through that lens. And and so that is a lens firmly of race and gender. And I resisted anything that I thought was telling me, oh, no, you're not seeing the world through race and gender. You're seeing the world through caste. But I was misunderstanding because that's not what caste is. Caste sits underneath race and gender. It sits underneath racism and sexism and homophobia and Islamophobia and anti-Semitism and ageism and all of the isms. It is the foundation of them all. They are built on top of this idea of human hierarchy. And, and that is what became clear on the second read. And that is what was 
an idea that was so provocative that it, it really opened up my curiosity and and um, and my desire to to make sure more people knew about it. Yeah, um, 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 the, the, those things come across in the movie. I mean, there are scenes in the movie where, um, where, where you know, where where Isabel or Isabel's character or, or Isabel is is explaining these things about the idea of where caste lives within racism and within uh, inequality. I, I will say that when I I first. Um, found out you were making the movie. I had I had read the book around the same time. I think I got it recommended from like a, a podcast, maybe the Ezra Klein podcast or something like that. And when I found out that you were making a film based on it, Ava, I, I sort of assumed it was going to be a, a documentary, like a ten part, you know, Netflix documentary or something like that. When did it come to you that this would be a good story to tell? Like you said, you wanted more people to be able to find out about the story, learn about these ideas. When did it come to you to make this into a scripted style film? Um, immediately. It was never anything that I considered to be, um, considered as a, as a doc or as a limited series. You know, I, you know, feel that, that, uh, you know, cinema, you know, film, motion pictures, features are, um, the most emotionally dense of, of the visual arts. Um, as, as it relates to being a filmmaker who's worked in, you know, in, in television and limited series and ongoing series and shorts and documentaries yeah. and, and all parts of it. That is when I make a, a feature film, a narrative feature film, I feel like I'm working at the, at the height of the empathy machine, you know, uh, and, and all of the tools are working at, 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 at a level that I believe this subject matter warranted. The heights of the empathy mach- machine. That reminds me of something that Isabel talks about in the book, the idea of trying to practice radical empathy. Yes, absolutely. Well, in any way we can, with any tools we can. Well, it's an interesting way of doing it, right? The book was written, as I mentioned, by Isabel Wilkerson, who, in addition to her her work writing this book about these these great and very sort of groundbreaking ideas around framing um, American inequality and, and anti-Black racism through the idea of caste, she also goes through this unimaginable series of tragedies in her own life. I mean, she loses her husband, and shortly after that loses her, her mom, as she was so close to, and she's so rocked by all this. And to tell me a little bit about making this as much about Isabel's story as it is about unpacking her ideas. It's it's both. They they're they're side by side. They're braided together. You know, it is the idea that you know through this woman's life and journey, uh, we are able to illuminate you know our collective lives together and journey. And that's really what we're trying to say: is the loss, the triumph, the the striving for survival, the the struggle that you know so many people experience. Um, you know, uh, sit side by side with a, a, a global community that's 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 feeling the same way. It is a it is a, about, um, you know, opening up a hard space where we can see each other for who we really are, not who society tells us that we are. And so, you know, I speak with you on this on this interview and I hear your voice and I know what your job is and I know what your outward facing identity is and you know the same about me, mm. and we make conclusions about one another mm. um, that would be much different if you and I were not recording and had an hour to just talk about the people that we loved and why we loved them, the people that we lost and how they changed us and how we missed them. It would 
it wouldn't matter what you look like and what I look like or what you did or where I lived or how my skin color is or gender or religion or race or, you know, <laughs> sexual preference or anything. We would just be in that feeling heart space. And that is what I tried to conjure in the film because that is what I got from the book. If you could get to that place, a world without caste. Um, and, and, and so for me, it was, well, where does that world exist? And that world exists in a, in a space and it, it, be, it, it exists beyond the space and time we're in. And what in our lives exists without space and time? Grief. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is a common feeling. Yeah. Everyone doesn't love, you know, everyone doesn't fall in love. Yeah. Everyone doesn't experience the love of children. Everyone doesn't, it, 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 love is too specific. Grief is is wide and it is the same. It's the same devastation. It's the same aloneness. And, you know, I, I, I feel it allows, it allows for that holding of hands that you can't in any other, in any other space. So when I was interviewing Isabel Wilkerson and she was speaking with me about the losses that she'd experienced, and I knew that I wanted to make her the lead character in the film. And, you know, I started to see the connections between you know, a collective loss and absence and and the personal. I, I really love everything you said just then. I mean, it reminds me of this this um, exercise someone told me to do one time. You know, I, 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 I've been getting deep into sort of mindfulness over the past few years and into like the, the Buddhist practice of, of metta or like loving kindness. And one of the exercises someone told me to do reminds me of something you, you – um, you mentioned there, which is to sit on the streetcar or sit on the subway, sit on the bus or something like that and just, you know, look at somebody, not in a creepy way. Don't, you know, try, try, try not to stare at them or anything like that. Right. Um, but look at them and remember that they've already had the best day of their lives so far. and wow. imagine And imagine them going through that. And then um, know that they have already had the worst day of their lives so far. And imagine them going through that. And then look at them uh, again. And it's a really powerful practice that reminded me of what you were saying there. Wow. That is very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I I love that. Um, Yeah. It's these, this simple, these, the the simple ways that we can a be mindful. I practice mindfulness as well. Be mindful, be present in the moment. Um, And in doing that, it becomes difficult to not difficult, but it, it it is, uh, it is easier to regard the person um, across from you uh, less by all of the trappings and the labels and the preconceived notions of who they are. And if you're present in the moment, you, you've got a, a human being breathing across from you and, um, and you can enter into a space where you're regarding them as such. Um, when we do that as people, we're in our, we're, we're being our best selves, our highest selves, I, I believe. And so there was so much of that, um, that I was reading about, thinking about, um, and hoping that I could bring to this piece about this big, unruly, kind of huge topic of caste. Um, truly, for me, it, it was a woman on a journey um, through this through through this very tender time in her life. And um, and you know, when 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 you are when you've lost someone, and when you're in the throes of grief, everything is you're sensitive to so much. Yeah, you know, and um, and so I, I felt like. Uh, we're watching this woman walk through the world during the most sensitive, tender time that one could have the loss of three people in a 16 month period. 
and that everything that was coming through her was heightened. And if you know, if I could somehow braid those images together, you might get a, to a place at the end of the film where, where you're you're considering all these ideas on a deeply feeling level. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're listening to my conversation with Ava DuVernay, the filmmaker behind films like Selma and A Wrinkle in Time. Her new film is Origin, based on the book Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. The 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 what the film does you know beautifully and uh, the book does beautifully as well is it takes it out of um, it, it talks to us about it when we are one on one with another the great capacity we have for for empathy and and for kindness and for understanding but also how the societies that we're a part of whether they be governments or or religion or any sort of systems um, often you know impose these caste restrictions and and, 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 and and impose these things that we're talking about today and part of the journey quite literally of Isabel in in this book is her traveling to Germany to to understand the Holocaust uh, to traveling to India to understand the caste system there and um, in in making this film you would have had to go on that same journey because you the, the film takes place in in Germany this film takes place in India as well how was that journey for you what surprised you about going on that journey yourself Oh, it was a joy. It was a joy ride. It was a thrill. It was the most exhilarating time, I say, of my life. That, that the the, the year making this, um, yeah, you know, shooting the film in thirty seven days on three continents, oh my God. out of my own company with no studio, you know, independently is what we wanted to do. You know, we raised this money from like minded organizations and individuals, mostly philanthropic organizations like the Ford Foundation and people like Melinda Gates and Lavrine Powell Jobs and folks that just came together around this idea like, wow, let's let's make a movie that feels like a studio movie, but that is not a studio movie. And um, and let's make it about the things that we care about. And so to be entrusted with that budget and to be able to, you know, adapt this book and and and, and braid it, you know, braid braid the, the contents of the book with and the thesis of the book with what interested me, which was the author herself, and come up with this kind of hybrid adaptation and and then to just to go out into the world you know I, I have a small company here in Los Angeles you know my producing partner is a is my my same producing partner that I've had with me since since Selma and before my independent films uh Paul Garns um you know two black independent film producers out in the world traveling you know marshalling a, a crew of thousands to tell the story I just felt like I just felt alive and free and, you know, not bogged down by anything, by anything. It was the most free I felt. Even in my early independent films, you know, I was I was burdened by my lack of experience. I didn't know how to do it. You know, I was just starting. And so, but to have, you know, 15 years of filmmaking under my belt with projects of all sizes and shapes and and to, and to marry that with, with a sense of independence, Gosh, it was euphoric. I mean, you didn't want to be around me during that time. I was just, <laughs> you're just like, lady, we get it. You're happy. Okay. Copy that. I just, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And I, I appreciate this interview so much that it's gone into this place. I get a little teary because I'm remembering it. I can feel it in my body as I talk about it. It was, it was, it was a dream. It was, it was a, it was a dream to not feel, um, Beholden to to anyone else, I guess. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's rare. It is a rare it is a rare thing. Um, 
It is a rare thing, uh, especially, you know, when we, we work, we, you take millions of dollars from corporations and they have expectations. Yeah. And that is absolutely fine and should happen. But in instances where artists can give themselves freedom, um, you know, it is something to revel in. And in this instance, I, I had that. And um, and uh, I'll never forget it. How was the how was going to Germany and going to India? Uh, uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, but, but wonderful, wonderful cruise. Um, wonderful uh, sense of adventure. No fear. You know, you, you know that you have. I felt a. You know, I feel a part of a, of a global film community. I mean, there is a technical way that the camera works, and people all over the world know how to work it. You know what I mean? That that you you will need permits to shut down this street. The condor is going to light up the street this many this many yards ahead. Like there's there's just a, a base of film knowledge that is. That is, that is so foundational to the experience that that was wonderful to be able to lean on, but then also to be welcomed by the specificity of the places, you know, both in story and in, you know, production partners on the ground and the way that they put a spin on that or the way they do it. Um, it was, it was, you know, I'd only shot out of the country once before. For A Wrinkle in Time, we spent some beautiful time in New Zealand. Um, but to really be kind of a... Um, uh, to work, work work with filmmakers in other parts of the of the world was was uh, you know just exhilarating, and I learned so much. Was that the question, or was there a different? Were you thinking of something else when you asked how it was to shoot in the world? That's so kind of you to ask me to ask me that. No, I mean Did I, I get it wrong. I, I don't. I don't really, what were you going for? I don't really have any. I don't really have okay. any intentions. I don't. I don't have an answer in mind, Ava. I'm just. Okay, I'm just okay. talking. But I, I suppose I was well, while you were saying that. I was curious about because you were talking about with the films and, and the specificity of the crews. It did make me think. I read this interview you did with um, Michael Mann, very yeah. very important filmmaker to you. He is. He um, is. Uh, and you talked to him about, I think one of the scenes in the film, you filmed a book burning in Germany, in Berlin, I'm guessing, in the town square where it happened. And people were wearing swastikas. And um, I mean, that's what I mean by like, you, you had to, like Isabel, you had to sort of like go through that emotional process yourself. I can't imagine what that was like. Yes, yes. Um, you know what I mean? I, mean, I, I do. I mean, I, I think that it was, I mean, in, in any, any director, I'm, I would look at anyone this this year who made things, not this year, anytime, who is, you know, recreating and trying to, to approximate, you know, challenging, tough subject matter, whether it's Mr. Scorsese with Killers of the Flower Moon or whether it's, I don't know. I mean, Jonathan Demme with Philadelphia. I don't know. It's just you, you, you're dealing with loss. You're dealing with issues of loss and justice and history. And, you know, you're, um, you are, uh, you are wrestling with it as, as an artist who has to confront it in order to, to, um, to, to, to share it. it. It's not a, it's not an easy thing, but it's what we do. And um, and so it, I wouldn't say it's hard either. Um, it, it is just uh, 
it is it is part of the practice yeah. for me the writing is is probably the most emotional that's where i can let it all out and cry and be angry and 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 question and do all of those things and and when i'm on the set I, it's very um, much about facilitating a space for other folks to do that and and then and then and then to kind of let it out again in the editing room um so it, it's 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 really a uh I can't say it doesn't affect me, but it doesn't affect me adversely. It's not something that I have to come down from. Yeah. You know, I, I look at the actors and I and I and I think about what they have to do to kind of shed a character each day when they go home. You know, my my process is one where I'm I'm not quite. Uh, I I don't uh, I don't metabolize it in that way. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. My guest is the director, Ava DuVernay. Her new film, Origin, is out now. Coming up, Ava will tell you about watching the director, Michael Mann, on the set of the film Collateral, which was sort of her own film origin story. And we talk about what it means to release Origin at this moment in the world. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Hey, uh, Tom here. I want to let you know, if you're not already subscribed to our podcast um, or following our podcast, I'm not, never sure what the right nomenclature is, vernacular nomenclature, uh, Q with Tom Power, wherever you get your podcast. You'll have access to our archive of interviews, and you'll also get a new episode every single weekday. So go check that out. Back to our conversation. Can you tell me that story about Michael Mann, by the way? I've only ever heard it about you. That you were working in. What is it? You were, you were, you know, the one you were working in. I've heard, I've heard it about you in sort of the lore when I read about you, as I've, as I've been doing. That you were like, you were working in, P, you working in PR, working in publicity, working behind the scenes. Oh, just the way that I met him. That was just that you saw him making. I mean, it feels like yeah, a, it yeah, feels yeah, like yeah. it feels like a superhero origin story, Ava. Can you, it is, well, tell I don't me. know about superhero, okay, but sure. it is an origin story. Tell me, tell me. No pun intended. Um, it. Uh, it, it, I, I was, I was before I was a filmmaker. I was a publicist. I picked up a camera when I was 32 years old. Before then, I had worked in publicity, movie publicity, where I would work on sets um, of, of films, and I would also do release publicity. So I would book the director on this show, right? And I would, um, I would care for films until they reached their audience, basically. And so. I was on the set of Collateral as one of the unit publicists, and I was observing Michael Mann on this set with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx and Jada Pinkett and a young Javier Bardem and yeah. a young Mark Ruffalo, and um, and was observing him work with these um, these these new cameras, these things called digital cameras, and I thought, wow. These are moving fast, and wow, that image looks incredible to be able to shoot through the dark where you could see up the street with no light. It wasn't lit down there, but I could still see it through the monitors. It was incredible. 
And so, um, and we were shooting in areas of Los Angeles that I came from, South Central Los Angeles, Watts, um, East LA, predominantly black and brown communities of LA. And so the collision of all of those things, where we were shooting, the kinds of actors we were shooting with, um, and the cameras made me really kind of watch Michael more closely than I had watched other directors on the sets I'd been on before and start to think, I want to do what he's doing and um, and start to make my way through making my first short and then my first doc and then my second doc and then my first narrative film. And then the second narrative film got into Sundance and, and won yeah. Best Director. So, so, but I, but I, I, I map it all the way back to that. That, that, that was one particular night because the, the movie's all nights, all night shoots. Yeah. Um, one particular night where it just all came together, and it was, it was because of him. But what about the side of it? Like at the beginning of our conversation, you and I were chatting, and, and you said, you know, uh, you know, this was. An, I've read this book, and I read it twice, and I, and I, I began to understand how sort of vital and important the the message is in here and how it can really reach people and kind of maybe help them understand what's happening in the world right now that maybe they don't see. And I figured the way to do that was to make a movie about it and try to get this idea into, into people's minds. Like, but when, when does that come in? Like you see, you see Michael Mann, you see, you see the, you see the, the lights in the, in the, in the darkness and you think, okay, I want to, I'm, I'm going to pick up a camera. I'm going to start telling these stories. But when does it come for you that, oh, filmmaking is also a way to make a change. Like filmmaking is also a way to, to, to introduce ideas to people. Um, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it is my very first films. I've just always followed what I'm interested in. I, it was just never a big revelation. I just follow my interests. I am interested in, you know, during that time, the prison industrial complex and mass criminalization. And so I'm the nerd that's going to make a documentary about it. 13. You know, I just, you know, I, I right now I'm interested in love stories. Like I am just craving. I just want to do a love story. Um, you know, when I was reading that book cast, I wanted people to know about it. And I, you know, so I just, it, 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 I hear what you're saying. I just can't map it to a specific time when I thought, oh, this filmmaking will achieve these things if I make it. I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to see my work have real impact in, in many different ways. Um, but I, uh, it starts out with, Ava, what do you want to work on for the next two years? Yeah. You I mean, know, I think if you went in being like, I want to go in and, and have this kind of impact and change people's minds. I don't know if the films would turn out that way. Uh, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure. It's not my starting place. Yeah. It can't be. Well, listen, I, I, I uh, before we go, I mean, it's not lost to me that we're actually talking on Martin Luther King day in the United States. Um, and you know, watching cast in 2024, um, it was an interesting experience reading it in, in 2020. Mm. Um, it's very difficult to talk about this film without acknowledging that a lot of places in the world, including in America, these systems that Isabel is talking about are very much still at work. And I was reading a quote from you and I was getting rid of this. And you said, this film says everything I want to say about this time. So what does it mean for you to release Origin at this moment in, right now in the world? Well, thank you. It's a lovely question. I, I, I just want to contribute to a conversation that I don't feel enough of us are having. I think that we're in our own rooms, but we live in a house. And at some point you got to come out and you got to interact, you know? So my mom always would say, I'm like the oldest of five, come out of your rooms and sit at this table. <laughs> you know? 
and have this dinner and talk to each other because it's just so easy to stay separate. And so, you know, I, I don't have any anything poignant or wise to say other than I'm longing for that conversation around the table. I, I want to listen. I want to be heard. And um, and and it has to start somewhere. And I'm a filmmaker. All I do is make films. I think the question is, what are you and what can you do where you are? And, you know, how can you hold out a hand and 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 just touch something that needs to be touched? Which is this common place. How do you find it? You know, I think we have these conversations about these big lofty things and I have to stop myself from watching politics on TV all day. And, you know, it's just, it comes down to none of this stuff matters if you don't regard each other, one another as human beings. It, it feels kumbaya to say it, but it is, it is, it is true. You know, racism, sexism, homophobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, ageism. I mean, it just goes on and on. Ableism. All the things, it, 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 it comes down to, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you care about me? And so often our answer is, I don't even think it's no. I just think it's, I don't know. I have never even considered it, you know? And so uh, the hope is that in this film, you just take a little time to consider it. Ava DuVernay, thanks so much for making the time. Thank you for talking to me. Always enjoy it. I loved that conversation with Ava. I mean, because um, it's never just about the film, is it? Ava DuVernay talking to me about her new film, Origin, which is out now, but also talking about empathy, talking about compassion, and talking about next time you're talking to someone, realizing they have their own sets of experiences that they have lived through while they're speaking to you. As I mentioned, her new film, Origin, which is worth your time, it's out now. Hey, I'm Molly Tuttle, and you're listening to Q with Tom Power. Take a listen to this. Well, we danced and we danced till the moon went down, and then we drove out to Dark Falls to turn the lights down. But we never stayed so late that word got around. Dark River is just a small town. Dark River is just a small town. It's Ron Hines and the song Dark River. Ron Hines, a legendary songwriter from Fairyland, Newfoundland and Labrador. We lost him in 2015. I often um, find myself in a situation where I have to explain uh, how important Ron Hines is to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. So here goes. My best is that Ron Hines was kind of our Gordon Lightfoot or our Leonard Cohen, or our Joni Mitchell. His album, Discovery, was the first album of all original music from Newfoundland and Labrador ever. That's how important he was. Ron is also part of a generation that um, I spend a lot of time thinking about. They were the first generation of artists, because they were the first generation of Newfoundlanders, to be born and raised 
Canadian. If you don't know, Newfoundland and Labrador joined Canada in 1949. So their parents were born and raised Newfoundlanders and Ron's generation were born and raised Canadians. That also happened around the same time as a, a great resettlement in Newfoundland and Labrador where smaller outpour communities full of like really distinct culture were shut down and moved to larger centers. Ron Hines was the voice that told our story back to us. And now there's a new album featuring Newfoundland and Labrador musicians playing his songs. It's called Sunny Don't Go Away, a tribute to Ron Hines. It was put together by uh, Alan Doyle. One of the artists on this record is the Juno-winning songwriter from Newfoundland and Labrador, Amelia Curran. And she did a version of that song, Dark River. So I asked Amelia if she would come on the show, talk a little bit about the song she recorded. And from one Newfoundland songwriter to another, what made Ron so special? I don't know where any of us would be, musicians, songwriters, uh, even some poets, you know, <laughs> had it had it not been for being on the front lines of, of Ron's career. Yeah. 2015. I can't believe it. That long ago. I remember when he died, you played the St. John's Waltz on, on the go with, with Ted Blades on the CBC Afternoon Show. And it was 2015. It was the day after he died. And I remember... I remember it was the first time I cried about it. I, well, I was so sad that Ron had left because he was so meaningful to us, but it was the first time that I was really, I saw how personal it was to us that, that we lost him. And I, I sort of lost it in that moment, you know? He was also, you know, he was the, that kind of writer who, and I've said it a million times, the thing about Ron Hines is that he was around. And, and if you're in St. John's and most, at the time, 80s and 90s, if you were a musician in St. John's, you're a new one. You're an up and coming emerging musicians because everyone else, they get so far down the road, and they leave and then they get so far down that road and then they come back, you know, and that's, that's kind of our, that's our thing. Mm -hmm. um, but Ron was around Now he did of course spend lots of time in Toronto and, and several places. He went across the pond to Ireland. He spent some time in Nashville, I mm -hmm. think, but he was around. There were times when he played weekly at a tiny pub downtown. He would play at the Rose or the ship. He played at the Black Sheep a lot, last going off, I think. And um, we could easily take him for granted. So sometimes you wouldn't see him for a couple months. And then you'd see him again. You'd go, oh, man, this guy's really good. <laughs> you know, and you know that in your bones. But uh, to be reminded of it, to have it so in your face like that is just so wonderful. For people who aren't familiar with Ron Hines, and I, I feel like part of our responsibility as Newfoundland artists is to introduce people to Ron Hines. For people who aren't mm -hmm. um, aren't as familiar with him, when they listen to you sing Dark River right now with Dwayne, what made him so good? Like, what what is Dark River an example of that made him so good? Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, uh, Ron, Ron's writing? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ron, you know what it is? Dark River, a completely uh, fictional place a fictional story is so real and so tangible to newfoundlanders specifically to outport newfoundlanders to those from resettled communities uh even communities that that didn't go quite so far as resettlement when literally the the highway was built uh and things were suddenly no longer on the beaten path what happens to those people they're still there we've lost our connection with them. This still goes on to this day, but it's, it's a story that was much more familiar years ago. I think it's a story that is 
very easily and very quickly yesterday's news, we forget the things that we're disconnected from. Of course we do. You know, I talk about it and it sounds political, cerebral and like a history book and really boring. But Ron Hines can write about it and it feels like it happened to me, to the listener, not just that it happened to him, the writer. Um, but he, he's he's not only speaking for you, he's speaking about you, to you. He had something very special. Uh, and we know that. And now that we don't have it. Uh, well, no, because we do still have it, you know, because recreating these songs now, we do still have it. This is ours to keep forever. I just, I can't stop saying that how, how lucky we are yeah. to have had him, you know? My favorite line of the song is, what's that line? Like, I, I drove into Dark River late last spring. Small town. Yeah, yeah. Now I drove out. The dark river late one spring And with everything gone well, You could see everything And with everything gone, you could see everything With everything gone, you could see well, Like, how do you do it? How do you do what that? What does that even mean? It's wonderful <laughs> It's the best It's wonderful It's true, though, because the spring You know, the leaves I mean, for one thing, from the nature perspective, you know, the leaves are not out on the trees yet. The snowbanks may be melting and you can see further. And then, but everything's gone. The dance hall burned down. It's all gone. And suddenly you can see what, what it used to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, got I mean, you could you could do this. You could pick apart a Ron Hines song <laughs> without destroying it. You could do it for ages. People could write their theses, I'm sure. Um, there's a story about not really even a story, but just to mention Greg Malone would say about Ron Hines. He may have said it at his funeral that Ron would find a lyric that he loved and he would hold it in his hand, hold it between his fingers and like show it to you angrily. Like, look at this wonderful thing that I found and just trying to understand how something could become such a wonderful, just turn a phrase. And I love that. Um, and I, I love that I got to see that, you know. We're all, we're all so lucky for it. Um, I, I love this recording of you and Dwayne. I love how uh, sparse it is. And um, I, I love Dark River. And I love getting it. And listen, we haven't heard from you musically in a long mm-hmm. time. So yeah. it, it was nice to hear you again, too. Yeah, thank you. This is, uh, this is Amelia Curran and Dwayne Andrews doing Ron Hines' Dark River. Just driving past And you could miss it Like that Since they re-ran the highway And the dance hall Burned down Well that's the last hope For me and that town So I drove out One morning With the sun in my eyes And I followed the dark river out to the skies and I found me a place that wasn't far out of sight where I dreamed of those dark river nights 
where we danced and we danced till the moon went down and then we drove out to dark falls and turned the lights down and we never stayed so late that word got around dark river is just a small town dark river is just a small album Sunny Don't Go Away, a tribute to Ron Hines. That is Amelia Curran and Dwayne Andrews with their rendition of Ron Hines' song Dark River. So, full disclosure, my band is on that album, though not on this song. And this is hard to avoid in the arts community in Newfoundland and Labrador. Dwayne Andrews is my brother-in-law. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, so I'll add it to the disclosure. I'm from Newfoundland and Labrador. Sunny Don't Go Away, a tribute to Ron Hines, is out now. That is it for the show Show today. Tomorrow on the show, you might know Jake Johnson from his role as Nick on the incredibly bingeable, comforting show, New Girl. 
Now he's made a new movie, which is about a guy who cannot be left alone for a full month or he'll be killed in some sick, sadistic game show. I asked Jake Johnson, are you surprised that this thing got made? And he said, yes. You'll hear what he means by that tomorrow on the show. If you want to get in touch with us, Q with Tom Power on Facebook or CBCQ on Instagram and TikTok. Email us, Q at CBC.ca. You can find the show online, CBC.ca slash Q. Our YouTube is Q with Tom Power. I'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.